morning. Good morning. Good morning. There it is. There it is. Welcome to E3 Church. And for those who are new to our church, you may think that this is the normal attire for the pastor to preach, and it is not. Some of you are saying, oh my gosh, do I need to go get ties and coats? No, don't worry. Those on the online community, you're not seeing a weird picture on your screen right now. Friends, I've been waiting for this day a long time. It is time for Bible Jeopardy! I love the enthusiasm over here. Over here, it's kind of like shock. Like, I see I turned this way, and you were excited, and they were like, is he going to call me out on something? Yes, I will. We're going to be all playing Bible Jeopardy, and the dividing line is this camera. So Lindsay, who is on the worship team and heard all of the questions, may not participate. If she participates, it is negative 10,000 points for her. Everyone else, you are on this team, okay? So we're going... This side, which your team name is? Woo. And this side, your team name is? Woohoo. Okay, so we have Woo versus Woohoo, and we are playing Bible Jeopardy, and there is a point to this in the sermon, but it is a lot of fun. Now, online, you were delayed approximately 22 minutes, so there's no possible way that you can win in terms of answering the question in time. However, just play with amongst yourselves, and I'll be watching on as two online to see who is getting the most points from our online viewers, because you guys matter in this building. We love it that you're playing and watching with us online. Questions about Bible Jeopardy. Good. Okay, here we go. <laughs> there are three categories. The first category is this, on the farm. The second category is this, the Bible. Some of you are shocked right now. And the third category is this, potpourri, which is just a lot of random questions. Now, the benefit to being the pastor's wife is that she gets to pick the first category. Carissa, what would you like to start with? On the farm. Now, before we start, we, because we are not actually Jeopardy, you may not jump around 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. You have to go in order because that is the correct way to play Jeopardy, folks. None of this 300 and then jumping to 100 and then to 500. You also have to answer in the form of a? So don't say pig. Say, what is a pig? Does everybody understand? Here we go. Whoever shouts it out first gets a point for their respective teams. Lindsay, quiet. <laughs> While some of you may call it sprinkling, this is the word for watering shown in the picture here. Well done. Well done. Woo, got it. Woo-hoo, little, little late, okay? 100 points to woo. Very good. Waiting for online to chime in. Keep, keep going, keep going. Used to house grain, these structures dot the Nebraskan landscape. Well done, woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. There's some fighting now between the two sides of the congregation. I love it. Feel free to trash talk as much as you'd like. However, I cannot hear the answer amongst trash talk. For 300, I'd be amazed if you can identify this type of crop you find, you little rascals. What is alfalfa? Well done. Well done. Those who do not know the little rascals, alfalfa is one of the little rascals. And now you're like, wow, our pastor is so creative in how he creates his questions. Yes, I am. For 400. This hybrid animal is half of these two animals, also known as a beefalo. That was... I'm giving it to Wu because of that, okay? But you only get one of those streamings, okay, Wu? Now, if we just want to keep this up for a second, we're just going to go in the PG-13 realm for a moment. I don't know what that is hanging from below, but it is not what you think it is. Okay? If we, welcome to Element 3 Church. We just 
talk about what is awkward sometimes because it's, it's awkward, okay? This, actually, I did research it, and it's a whole different thing, but it's way outside of the pericope of this sermon, so let's keep going. And now, before we get to the 500, it is a daily double. How much would you like to wager? 500. 500. 500. The question is this. This is an antique farm tool. What is a hay rake? Well done, John Stott. And I forgot to mention, W Doubles, only this side. Woo could only answer. I apologize, woo. All right, so right now, I believe we have online community. You are ahead. And then uh, I'm just making up. Here we go. Let's go to the next category. We're going to start with the Bible. The Bible for 100. The second book of the New Testament, you could get high marks for this question. What is Mark? Well done. Woo. For 200. This book is a personal letter to Paul, written into the book's title and also a topic of an infamous Beatles song. What is Jude? Well done. Woo-hoo. Well done. For 300. This famous king had to decide if he should chop a baby in two pieces. But... You have to let me finish the question. (laughs) But don't let that fool you. He was very wise. What is Solomon? Very good. Good job, Wu. Looking online as we're going through here. Good job. Uh, We have some good uh, Mary Coffee. You're you're, you're rocking it right now. Mary Coffee's winning the online version, just so you know. (laughs) For 400, John the Baptist and Jesus were this relation to one another. I'm going to split those two, those two points, because that was well done. That was like a whole, y'all know Jesus really well. Good job, folk. All right. For 500, one of Jacob's 12 sons, this one is the ancestor who is related to Jesus through the genealogy of Luke. Who is Judah? Is correct. Well done. And now, just because we want to have a little bit of more fun, potpourri, are you ready? For 100, this day is the shortest of the year called the winter solstice. What is December 21st? Someone over here said that. Oh, Lindsay. Negative 10,000 points to Lindsay. For 200, this roof, for 200, this roofing structure is baked in places and tiles and made out of this material, which makes them very durable. This roofing structure is baked and placed in tiles and made out of this material, which makes them very durable. Or terracotta. Who said that? Well done. Well done. Everybody's pointing at random people. For 300, this state has the most coastline out of any state in the U.S. This is the problem when all of you said different states. What is Alaska. All y'all just said, what is, that's what it sounded like up here. I get the points. Let's keep going. For 400. Yes, uh, Mary Coffey asked, are they asking questions on these? And yes, you all are doing a good job of that. Number for 400, don't stutter on this answer. George Clooney became a star after appearing on this drama TV show. Or er, seeing that clever questioning. Well done. That was right here. Well done with the points. 400. Imagine this, for 500, imagine this, 
squid have this anatomy which they eat from. What is a beak? Well done. Woo. And of course, like the great show, Whose Line Is It Anyway? The points are made up and they don't really matter. And so the prize for everyone is you get to see this beautiful picture of the beloved Alex Trebek with a mustache. That is your prize. Round of applause for everyone who played, including those at home. And now I'm taking off this torture device because I'm no longer game show host, Pastor Scott. We are excited to jump into Mark chapter four. And Mark is going to be an interesting book because it goes through and talks through farming in a great amount. Uh, we have to be knowledgeable a little bit about farmers. And John Stott, that question was supposed to be unanswerable. And so I give points to you for knowing the answer because that should not be average normal knowledge for anybody, so to speak. But one of the more interesting theologians in commenting on this chapter said that parables in our day and age are going to be less impactful because we are less connected to farming. We're less connected to agriculture. For the first time in human history, our cultural shift made it impossible to understand what it was like to be a human more than 100 years ago. Let me give you in this example. I'm Pastor Scott. I have a mother who's awesome. Her name's Rhonda. Hi, Mom, if you're watching. I have a grandmother, Grandma Marge, and she is in western Nebraska in a place called Scotts Bluff at Assisted Living. I don't believe she's watching, but she is. Hi, Grandma Marge. Miss you. And then I had a Grandma Lily, great-grandma Lily. Great-grandma Lily, every single day, would go out to the farm and she would pick an unlucky victim, not every day, but almost every day, from the hen house. And you take the hen and you take it to the chopping block and you take a, a sharp object, you cut the head off the chicken. And guess what you had for dinner that night? Yeah, you'd have chicken. Now, imagine if we could, asking any one of our beloved high school or middle school students, hey, take this animal and make dinner tonight. <laughs> I don't have a lot of hope so to speak, because most of them would instead choose to steal a car, drive through Chick-fil-A, and get the same thing done for them. Amen? Now, to be fair, most of us in this room would rather go to Chick-fil-A drive through than cut a head off a chicken, yes? And just, you know, it does run around with a chicken like its head cut off, and there's some mess that comes with that process. What's interesting is that in another world, on a mission trip to Uganda several years ago, I saw their version of middle school students not only doing that job, but they would do so many other things that we don't even have the, the, the imagination to understand. For example, where does water come from? The tap. But in their culture, they had to go to the river, fill up a jar, carry it miles sometimes to have any sort of water that they would have to boil to make sure it was potable. The interesting thing is, is we don't have a connection to these parables like we did to maybe three or four generations ago, but that doesn't mean they're not valuable. We're going to be combating against this the entirety of the sermon. So if you have your Bible or your Bible apps, open to chapter four in Mark. We're going to start at verse one and understand the context doesn't make this unimportant. It makes it so much more important. Let's jump right in. Jesus began to teach by a lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the water's edge. He taught them many things in parables. And his teaching said, we'll pause for a moment there. The context is this, is that there's so many people crowding around Jesus. The best way to get a stage is to move him back from the people who are obviously wanting healings. They're wanting just to touch him, wanting to be near him. And so it is from a boat he's teaching him by these things called parables. More on that in a moment. We believe that there's thousands of people potentially following him right now. We don't know, 
But in upcoming stories, we'll get to in the weeks ahead, we know that Jesus feeds 5,000 and a group of 4,000. And so probably there are hundreds, if not thousands of people coming to hear what he says, and he teaches them in this method. Verse two, sorry, uh, let's start at verse uh, three. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, pause for a moment. If anyone ever does any sort of gardening or farming, is this an effective way of planting seed? No. You're going to go some sunflowers, and you're just like, okay, here's some dirt over here. Whee! And you get some sunflowers, and you get some sunflowers, and you get some sunflowers. This is not only insane to us today. It is an insane way of farming back in Jesus' day, too. Friends, they don't have unlimited seeds coming from some sort of seed machine. They instead have to be very careful with the limited resources they have for it to produce more during the growing season. So we don't understand if Jesus is saying this kind of as a humorous way of speaking that we've kind of lost this, or if he says this to illustrate the point that whoever the farmer is, we'll get to that in a moment, sows abundantly and freely and truly with a free spirit, so to speak. Let's keep going. Verse four, as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell among rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Again, we see that this is a cause and effect. Back and forth, that wherever the seeds land, they produce effects, so to speak. Keep going. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed which fell among thorns, which had grew up and choked the plants so they did not bear grain. What's interesting is that this is one of the few places where Mark actually lists out what Jesus teaches in the entire book. Other times Jesus says, and Jesus taught them. You say, well, what did he teach? We don't know. My belief is, is that Jesus used parables more often than not because he's teaching not only to his friends, to those who are wanting to hear what's coming from the God incarnate, but he's also teaching to those who are enemies of him. The teachers of the law, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, those people who hate him. We'll get more on that in a moment. But because he teaches to both crowds, he has to illustrate that there's cause and effect on both sides. These seeds that are first thrown out have dire, horrible endings. And for the interpretation, you have to go a little bit further for what these groups mean. So your challenge leaving today, because we're not going to get into this during the sermon, is to understand how Jesus interprets his own parable and what these groups mean. But... Verse 8, there's another cause and effect, a whole different side of the parable that Jesus brings out here. Still other seed fell in good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever have ears, let them hear. Again, the, the context of Jesus telling us this, this farming terminology is somewhat bizarre because we don't understand what 30, 60, or 100 times is. If it's by the individual seed, it's phenomenal. And if it's by the entire harvest 30 or 60 times, it still is unbelievable. In Jesus' day, the seed ranges for entire harvest were 3.5 fold to 7.5 fold. So if this is 30, 60, or 100 times, you're thinking that this is unbelievable agriculture purposes. If it's in individual seed, you could have from 7.5 fold up to 33 fold from what was originally sown. So you have one seed you put in the ground, 33 come up. 
So for a hundred to come up is mind-blowing. There have been in perfect conditions where people who do this for a living can get 150-fold potentially. But again, this is in modern day. This isn't in Jack and Jesus' day. We see, though, that the potential is there, but maybe none of Jesus' contemporaries know that you could even get this type of harvest. The point is, is Jesus' ending. Verse 9, then whoever has ears, let them hear. It's a symbolic ending, but it ties back to passages in Isaiah. Jesus twice tells the crowds that are gathered around him to listen, listen. But then Jesus says something that's somewhat problematic to us sitting here today, and hopefully problematic to the crowds gathered there that day. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Why would Jesus infer that he's trying to hide salvation from any group of people? Think of it in our Jeopardy game for a moment. We have woo, we have woo-hoo, we have the online crowd. What if he, he says things that are purposely confusing so that the woos get it? Again, you're, you're blessed because my wife's sitting on this side. I'm not going to say she can't come in the crowd. Woo-hoos, I'm sorry. Usually she sits back there somewhere. Today she didn't. Woo-hoos, you're out. How, how awful is that for us to hear Jesus say this, that some people are purposefully, seemingly confused, even though we would never want that. Before looking at this cryptic verse, it's important to understand the type of literature we're talking about here, parables. Jesus isn't the only one in the Bible to use parables. In fact, it is somewhat a common literary device of the day and age, so to speak. Parables are from the Greek, meaning to cast aside, meaning it's a story to address a larger, bigger, more complicated issue. I don't believe Jesus is hiding anything because, first... This, the crowds understand. The crowds understand what Jesus is saying. Because the crowds understand, and they call him a teacher, a great teacher, one who's very clear and very concise, I don't believe he's doing anything that's trying to purposely mislead them. Second point is that he's not willing and ready to reveal his true identity. Jesus doesn't want the masses to know who he is, not because he wants to be remaining secret, but if you know that God is speaking to you and this God who's healed you and this God who's done all these miraculous things is truly who he says he is, you're gonna have a lot of manipulation for him. Number three, he plainly speaks about eternal truths. Just because the disciples don't understand this passage initially doesn't mean it's difficult. It just means they don't quite get it yet. See, parables are used in these three purposes for a variety of understandings, but Jesus uses them as a primary teaching vehicle in all four Gospels. In fact, there's 35 parables that he gives recorded in these Gospels. Jesus did not tell parables to prevent understanding. No, parables are prophetic instruments with elements of judgment and indictment. They are also sometimes apocalyptic. They tell about the end of the world. Parables mean to enlighten and instruct, but also with a message that the listeners don't necessarily want to hear. So if we see Jesus as a prophet, then Mark 4, 10 through 12 makes sense. He's comforting half of the room and convicting the other half. Isaiah 6 also contains, make their heart of this people calloused, 
that Jesus references in these verses 10 through 12. So it's not that he just wants to make them not hear. It's that he wants to prove that they don't want to join his team. It's not that he wants to keep them out of the inner circle. It's just so, hey, you have every opportunity to hear that I'm convicting you. And so, hey, stand up and come over on this side and find a new seat if you want to be on the winning team, even though you all won. The point of this is this, is he doesn't want to exclude anyone from the kingdom. It's that it shows that they choose to exclude themselves by their words and by their actions. Just as Israel knew that Israel would not turn to be healed, it appears that Jesus also foreknows the same fact that many of the teachers of the law during that day would not turn and be healed. N.T. Wright, the famous scholar, argues that the parable of the sword depicts God again showing true Israel in her own land. And in the process, the parable acts by creating the situation where having ears to hear is the mark of the true remnant. But we do this in our daily lives. We call it analogies. We call it ways we understand complex issues by using things we already understand. The more complex the issue that someone hasn't gone through, the more we use analogy to understand it. For example, anybody remember how they learned how to drive? You learned how to drive because sometimes of analogy. You, 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 you use things that, you, that they would understand that point the car just a little bit this way and it goes that way. It's just the same as playing a video game. Some of us didn't have that luxury. The more complicated an issue, the harder the analogy comes by. I remember years ago when I was doing youth ministry, and the topic of S-E-X came up. I'm saying, I'm spelling it because it doesn't mean that way, right, anymore, okay? The, the topic, and I started using analogies, and I got myself in so much trouble because sometimes analogies can get you in a place where you say, I can't escape from the place where I put myself in. And all of a sudden, I'm relating that topic to shooting a basketball at a free throw line, and I don't know how I got there. <laughs> but every one of those youth, for the next four years, all they wanted to talk about was shooting free throws <laughs> because it was such a weird point where my face is as red as it can be, and I'm just making up analogy after an analogy, trying to keep them in the, the right path, and it was out of control. Can you imagine how it sounded if Jesus talked plainly about what he's trying to illustrate here? Just as a cognition for an object distinct from me, I have to initiation that, that, I mean, it's just like, he, he would have no words in any language to understand and describe what heaven is, what the end of the world's gonna be like, or even what judgment will be like. See, there's nothing like parables in our literature today because what Jesus is actually doing in every parable is taking his eternal God self and revealing what God is and what eternity will be like to make sense to mortals who have nothing to do with God. We don't understand eternity. I understand that it can start at a spot and go forever, but I can't imagine forever. It hurts my brain. What is striking in parables is the ability for Jesus to convey these things in such plain language with the ability to pivot the parable in so many ways. For example, what kind of seed are you in the parable we just discussed? Depending on circumstances, you're any one of the four types of seeds. And in fact, you may have been different seeds at different points in your life. You may be making a hundred-fold harvest right now, but 10 minutes ago, you were a seed on the rocky path. Could you also, though, not be the weeds 
choking out others from hearing the good news of salvation? Could you also not be the birds in the story, coming away to pluck up because of your stubbornness the good news? Could you also not be seeds for the next generation, creating 60, 30, or 100 times what is sown? And my hard question is, which one of these groups scare you the most? I know what scares me the most at this very moment is I could inadvertently be both the weed and a seed that bears fruit, and sometimes both at the same moment. Parables force us to be both an insider and an outsider at the same moment, based on context, which means they both convict and comfort at the same time. But here's, as 21st century Americans, where I believe we have two vices we need to acknowledge. The first is, is that we don't understand farming knowledge anymore. We don't understand not only farming knowledge, we don't understand most of the context of what Jesus t- talked in, because that was the normal for humanity for thousands of years. Humanity today is an enigma. We have power beyond anyone's wildest dreams in terms of the history of humanity. And this power makes us both pompous and ignorant at the same time. Because we think we must know better because Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He's an old fuddy-duddy, some weird preacher, some nomadic carpenter. How would he help me today? The second is this, is that And this is a condition not only of 21st century Americans, but everyone in this world. We cannot imagine an intimate deity. Who is a sower in the parable? I'm asking y'all. Think of fifth grade Bible study. There we go. Jesus. We can't imagine a deity who would come and take place in my life, who wants to know who I am and wants to remold me into a new image of a better version of myself. Jesus wants to have intimacy with our heavenly father. To combat these two vices, I wanna give you two truths, sorry, three truths. Remember our place in the parable and the value of parables. The parables, just because they talk about things that may be hard for us to understand today, that they are eternal nuggets, giving us visions of what eternity will become. The second point to combat these two vices is this. Do not compare. Do not compare myself with the person sitting next to me across the room in lunch places that I will visit later on today at dinner, Tuesday morning at work. Do not compare my place and think that I'm somehow better than those other seeds or places or people or persons in the story of parables, but also do not think I'm worse. And lastly, to be a disciple means hearing and remaining focused on the message of the kingdom. Some of you right now need the comfort of knowing you are not an outsider in the kingdom of God. Well, some of you need conviction that you, while professing to be an outsider, insider, are in fact outsiders. The application here is we are not the judges in the parable. I want to put up the picture we've been using the last few weeks of this bounded set versus a centered set. And we all know now coming for several weeks that bounded set is bad, but centered set is great. Because in the bounded set, we create these rules, these regulations, and they may be biblically based or not, friends, 
We, we, we love as humanity to create rules where I get to feel good and safe and secure, and those people who are not like me, those are outsiders. Woo! Thank goodness, fill in the blank, are outside of these walls because fill in the blank can never come as good as I am. Oh, isn't that convicting? Where in fact, what I love about Element 3 Church and Element 3 Church going forward is that we look at that center set and we see J-E-S-U-S in the center. And the only place where I can feel comfortable in my salvation is because of his orientation of where I am. I may think I'm that closest white dot where in fact, if I'm talking to Jesus, I'm reading these parables, oh, I find myself, I'm, I'm way on the outside. But if you look at that second, that second drawing, is there anyone who's truly an outsider? No. Now, some of you may be a little bit sticklers. You say, but Pastor Scott, the drawing does end eventually. Yes, I know. But all of humanity is in that center set. It doesn't matter who they are, what their past is, where they are even right now or where they'll be in the future. All of us find our orientation for eternity by the name and power of Jesus Christ. Thank God for that. So friends, are you ready to produce fruit? If you're ready, it means you give up your self-appointed judge role and you come to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, judge me, take me, and transform me into your image. There's no greater parable than that. Let's stand and worship.